Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 461 featuring Robert Mogash, who is the co-founder and chief creative at Dashing. Uh, really interesting guy. I've known Robert for many years. It's been a long time since I've spoken to him. So it was really nice to be able to finally catch up and see what he's going on. He is currently in Toronto, but he has been in Los Angeles. I actually met him when we both worked at uh, Method, uh, but he's an, an incredible guy. Uh, he has done many things in CG, as you'll find out from the podcast itself. Uh, but I knew him mainly as like a rock star flame artist, and he did some incredible stuff on the flame. Um, and it was a different perspective for me, honestly, because, you know, I sort of tackled things in a very 3D way, 3D compositing way. That was, you know, the way I did most of my future films and commercials. And he had a different approach of just getting things done uh, on the flame. And it was really kind of interesting to hear to, for me to learn that perspective and see how things are possible. Uh, so it was really great to be able to do that. That was, you know, back in the day. Uh, so yeah, like I said, Andy's worked at many cool places. He's worked at the mill. He's worked at the asylum. He's worked at digital domain. He's worked at method. Uh, he's worked on some great uh, films like Harry Potter. And actually he and I worked on iRobot and Stealth, uh, although I didn't know him at that time. So it was kind of interesting to uh, sort of have that in common as well. Uh, really cool guy. Really appreciate having Rob on and being able to, you know, talk about his amazing career. Uh, okay, we don't have any product announcements or at least any new product announcements just yet. But if you want to just go to chaos.com, uh, you'll find out any new updates we have there, of course. Uh, we do have uh, many events going on at chaos.com slash events. Again, chaos.com slash events. But there's one that I want to bring you guys uh, a special attention to, and that is Chaos Unboxed Live that is happening on February 27th. Uh, and you can find out more about this at chaos.com slash unboxed. It's going to be a live event. Uh, it's going to be many announcements happening at that time really cool things so definitely check it out we will be having some other events following up on unboxed as well uh but the live one will be happening on february 27th again just go to chaos.com slash unboxed and now of course if you guys want to know more about the podcast you guys know what to do. Our main podcast page is chaos.com slash CG Garage. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast. And if you'd like to watch any of our podcasts, you can always go to our YouTube, which is youtube.com slash chaos group TV, where we put all our videos, including the podcast itself. But for now, please enjoy episode number 461 featuring Robert Mogash. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. Okay, Rob, it's actually been a minute since we've seen each other, right? Like at least a decade? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the last time I saw you was probably when Scott Metzger was working out of the Chaos office on the early iterations of the Neuralize Atomview software. Right. So this is right. like We're Culver City. Um, yeah, probably about eight to ten years ago yeah yeah wow that even that seems more recent than i remember but yeah I mean, that's quite yeah. 
it's been quite a quite a while. I think I mean I think the first time we actually met each other was at Method. I had just started at Method, and you had just sort of brought came in at Method for a little bit. Yeah, but started, you and I actually I was looking at IMDb. You and I worked on several movies that are I didn't realize that we both worked on. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Like, well, probably iRobot was one of them, right? Yeah, yeah. and Stealth. <laughs> and Stealth, yeah, Stealth yeah. was an interesting one. Yeah, uh, Method. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the first time we actually met in person was at the the, the original Method building with the yellow pillars, the small little, yeah. like, when it was a cr- little creative studio as opposed to a, a giant machine. That it is today. Yeah, it used to be a little boutique place. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize that. But yeah, I want to get back to, the, to your past. Like how, I mean, you've obviously had a, a long career in visual effects. You've been going back many decades. Like how did, how did this first interest get to you? Like how did it all start for you? I mean, I started in film school in Toronto and okay. I, was, I was studying, I was in a program called media arts, which was film photography and digital media. Digital media at that time was like, how do you code a Gaussian blur on a JPEG or what? what I can't, I, I, it's so long ago. It's sort of like you were sort of learning how to do things. And then in the fourth year of that program, I would sort of specialized in photography and I was doing I was working for a photographer named Ed Bertinsky, who does these incredible, giant, massive shots of like the Yangtze Dam or these uh, these uh, quarries and things. And I was a retoucher um, using mm-hmm. Photoshop before Photoshop had layers. Um, and so early on, digital media was a big part of it. And then when I was in that final year of school uh, in the lab, uh, I spent a lot of time in the lab. And I was friends with a couple guys in CompSci, and they were like, hey, you got to check out this new thing. It's called Mozilla. So I started, I compiled a version, the first version of Mozilla to play with that. Right. Um, and, then, and then I got this sort of, through that, like whatever bulletin board or whatever was going on back then, I can't remember, I got this sort of set of like 35 floppies that was, I think, three studio, right? Oh, right. <laughs> It was on floppies. That's fr- I forgot about that. You have to you're, like, you're, you're like, oh my god, I got to download it on my 288 baud modem and and like install right. it on my 286. Oh, it's not going to run. I got to get a 386 and all that kind of craziness uh-huh. back then. So then, and then my teacher was like, we're going to start learning 3D software, and I was like, well, I've been playing with 3D Studio, so I ended up teaching the class. But then I dropped out and went to Sheridan College because Sheridan College was. The place to go. I had a great portfolio, thankfully, that I was able to get in with another like 15 or 20 students. And this is where like sort of like Cal Arts or what the, the one that was in Florida at the time is where people were learning computer animation to, be, to, mm-hmm. to get into that career. It's where like Steve Williams and all those guys um, sort right. of started their career at Sheridan. And so that that led into visual effects. And I, I was... Um, trained as an animator but then i always had the like a like a traditional 3d animator it was a 3d animation program but with okay. a classical animation training so we had a we had one 2d classical because sheridan was always known for like creating like disney animators 2d classical animators but then they had Interesting. this 3d animation program that spun off as a result of that because of of the guys that came out of and went to dreamworks and DreamQuest actually and ilm and those places mm-hmm. um and so when I came out as an animator, I, we started at this company in Toronto, four or five of us, and 
they the, the other guys were all classical animators and I was an animator. We were all good animators, but they didn't have an aptitude for rigging effects and all the stuff that I sort of ended up falling into. Um, and so I started off as sort of like a, not a, not a TD, but like an, but that guy that was like able to sort of try to figure out things, model things, rig things, working in effects on whatever power animator and, and soft image, which was right. one piece of software. And then Maya 1.0, like, um, with working with, with his, uh, what was it? Side of, no, what was the company? Um, Wavefront, alias Wavefront was in Toronto and one of my friends was the alias Wavefront. Yeah. Yeah. Was the first sort of product, uh, specialist, um, on Maya, Doug Law. And so I started doing 3d and I was like, I want to do creative stuff. And the creative stuff for me was, was animation, but I had all these friends that were classical animators that were sort of doing that work. So I was okay, well then I got to do that, which was visual effects supervision and flame and compositing. Cause that's where I can actually have a control over the image and actually start to be a part of making that final image look good. Um, so then I did flame at nights and supervised a, a Gene Roddenberry TV series called earth final conflict. Yeah. Um, and which was a long time ago and like sort of lowbrow visual effects. But back then it was like, we were in our twenties and it was like, let's do this, let's do this. And, um, then I started, like, I was always like, even from when I was at Sheridan college, I was seeing the work that was being done in advertising in London specifically at places like smoke and mirrors, rushes, uh, the mill glassworks, yeah. <laughs> early mill. Yeah. Um, and, so even when I was at Sheridan, every six months or so from when I graduated, I was going to London with my reel to say, hey, I'm a young kid who loves this shit. Can I come over here? Um, mm -hmm. And there was the, the earliest iteration of Smoke and Mirrors uh, was, was, was a company that I was really impressed by. And there was three artists that started that company along with a producer and engineer. Um, actually, four artists. Uh, but the three main artists were... Uh, the original flame artist from Glassworks, Rushes, and The Mill. And so they all came together as these sort of rock star um, creative guys um, to create this company, Smoke and Mirrors, which at the time was a really like inspiring concept because it was artist-led. It was the best artists in London. They were creating great work. They had their own sort of challenges with, with partnership and like six people and like whatever, whatever happens with business partnerships. But at the time, they created something really special. And so I went over there and worked for under them um, as like a 26, 27-year-old flame artist. And that partnership thing did fall apart. They sort of got taken over by a bigger company. And But when that happened, all of these big directors that were working with Smoke and Mirrors at the time still kept bringing work. So all of a sudden, I was like given all this, this giant sort of creative work to work on very quickly in the span of two years my reel grew and then Gabby brought me over to digital domain and then I, or actually, no, I went to asylum first. Nathan found me and Nathan brought me over to, to asylum. So you were in London then and then you, so, and then you moved back to, you, then you moved to LA. That was that your first time in LA? That was my first time in LA. Yeah. Okay. And this is back when like we were treated like, I mean, you probably had some of the same experience. When we started in our career, we were, we were a minority. It was very hard to find people that knew knew how to do what we yeah. do. So, like, I remember that I, like, Virgin Atlantic, whatever, 
with all the, the LED lights and stuff. And my, I was sitting in, in first class and Paul Bettany was beside me and he was moving to LA for the first time. It was like weird, surreal stuff that happened back then because we just sort of lived in that world. Right. Yeah. We, I went to LA and that was my first experience was, was asylum and the, the, the amazing energy of that place. Right. Um, then I went back to London. Um, one of those, uh, original partners of smoke and mirrors actually two of them had started a company that was doing a lot of um just like super small visual effects work with directors like chris palmer and tarsem and um, tony k and um just like three flames a little bit of cg um and went back work for them and then i came back and worked for digital domain Um, okay yeah, and did you go? You go into features, or were you working in commercials? At I was TV? working in commercials. It was okay. uh, so it was, and it was the early days of of like I guess I think back then HDRI was called Lightwench, um, right? Which you probably right. remember. Um, and and Chris and like Ron Herbst and John Lima and, and all all the sort of Lightwave crew that was doing sort of early photoreal light uh, rendering. Yeah, we were doing, yeah, whatever cars and shiny things and yeah, that was with the. I guess like Gabby was there, but Ed Albrick was also there. Yeah, right? so Gabby, Ed Albrick, uh, mm-hmm. Karen, who I think is at NPC now, um, mm-hmm. Lisa Brew. There was Mark Kurtz. Uh, yeah, Mike Pardee. I mean, there's there's yep. people that have sort of spread out throughout the industry that were all sort of Mike Pardee and, and Ed were sort of managing the whole Fincher machine with yeah fincher loved dd commercials <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and it, obviously like barba and his whole crew we really created a, a sort of a culture of like innovation at that place i, I mean it trained so many people and i was only right. there for a few years but like i learned the bulk of what i know about photoreal from the, that time right and this mm-hmm. is like this is when nuke was was our in-house compositor it wasn't a product yet and so right i had i had the flame and i had my nuke and i would composite all the cg in nuke and then it would pipe into the flame and that was just the workflow that would make it look the way it needed to look so that was cool. yeah interesting yeah well it was cool i mean that that was sort of like the heyday right in a lot of ways of the old early days of how how things are working so what were, what were your thoughts and is that when you start to get into feature work is, is that dd yeah. Um, well, I did some, I, like I worked on Harry Potter at Smoke and Mirrors in London. Okay. So that was probably the first kind of biggish one that I worked on, um, which yeah. was all compositing. It was like doing the, the invisibility cloak and a few magic wand shots. Like when his, when his, he gets zapped in the butt and his little pigtail grows and that kind of stuff. I remember shots like that. <laughs> right. Um, but then, yeah, at, at um, at Digital Domain, I wasn't working in the feature department. It was sort of uh, at the end of iRobot and Stealth. Those directors were traditionally commercial directors, and like they got to a point where it was like there's this big stack of shots, and like, we just need to get a commercial flame artist on this and just get it done. And so I sat right. with um, the editor and the director, and just it was the shots at the end when Will Smith is like falling through that AI robot thing, and they just needed a bunch yep. of explosions and in stealth it was like some of the miniature work that was also being shot at dd but needed uh, just compositing right it was the planes exploding and stuff that we were working on right yeah 
That was actually interesting. That was sort of the the tail end of our of DD's um, uh, miniature department. That was sort of the last two shows that they did miniatures on. <laughs> yep. And I think yeah. Les was on that. Les Ecker. Yeah. I can't remember who, who was the name of the guy that was the director, the, the head of that department. Oh, Fouché. Yes, Alan Fouché. Alan Fouché. Alan Fouché, yeah. yeah. Who passed away, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but yeah, it was a kind of an interesting time, you know, to think about. Like, I remember on the, on iRobot, when they were doing the explosions for the, the big thing that there was, and they actually did practical explosions. <laughs> right next door to me because my wall was against the stage and so <laughs> it was just constant shaking of the stage as we were trying to work yeah yeah and that was like I actually remember that like the, that was one of the shots that i composited when the, the the plane goes right into the cliff um and it was a miniature and it explodes and, and oh, that, that was, was for stealth yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sorry on stealth yeah um and that was sort of like we coming from commercials not having an understanding of color space, not having an understanding of, of how to get things to look right. That was, I think, that one of the shots where I finally started to go, oh, okay, so this is log and this is linear and this is what, why it works the way it does. And right. Funny how, yeah, we just didn't, I mean, we didn't have a clue what gamut was yet. <laughs> I know. Point. I had the same thing. It took me the longest time to understand uh, color space and especially in film, you know, like why, why, why it is the way it is, uh, which is now sort of, it seems so weird that I don't understand it. Like, it seems like once, once you get it, you get it <clears throat> and it seems straightforward, but that initial hump to get to the other side was like, oh yeah, that's why color needs to be this curve. <laughs> Cause yeah. may, and like even yeah. like, like gamut for me didn't happen until probably psyop, which was like, 2014, 2015. Right. And it was Andy Jones was building uh-huh. the pipeline there. Um, and it was like Stephen Dalala was like really pushing hard on the Clash of Clans stuff for their full CG Clash of Clans commercials. And they were really putting mm-hmm. a whole sort of like Aces thing, like the first iteration of what was kind of like an Aces workflow into right. the whole pipeline there. And it was the first place I actually sort of started to understand okay, that's what the importance of gamut is right. Um, but still it's hard to, it's, people just don't understand. They don't get it. A lot of people. Yeah. It was very interesting. I mean, I think, you know, uh, for me coming as an, as an old CG guy, when I came into DD and I heard about all of these, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times, but I remember hearing about all of the, these flame artists coming in, right? And they were like the rock star guys that are coming in and they had their big suites and the clients came in and ordered lobster, you know, and those kind of things. That <coughs> there was a sort of this reputation behind it. And meanwhile, we're in the, in the back dark rooms eating crackers and Diet Coke, right? Uh, <coughs> and it was kind of a different mentality, but understanding the importance of a flame was something that was, uh, you know, a lot of people in the CG world didn't really understand. And it wasn't until I, and I knew, but I knew they were important in, in a lot of ways. And it wasn't until I came to method that I sort of put some of those things in perspective and meeting someone like you was also in a big part of it, right? There's a lot of really great flame artists that were at method that were really sort of showed what they can do. And uh, one of the things I remember specifically is uh, you were supervising it was a it was a commercial. It was about water, 
it's like a bottled water commercial of some kind that was going yeah. on. Yeah, I remember that. The and, Propel. Yeah, Propel, exactly right. Yep. And uh, you, from what I remembered, you created an entire, like, bird yeah. <laughs> out of elements of water all in the flame without any 3D. <laughs> It was, yeah. or you did it all in on the flame, which has its own kind of, but it wasn't like no fluid sims, nothing. You just made this entire thing out of elements of water that you found and you've transformed and you sort of created out of nothing. And I was like, this is magic to me. Like, even as someone who understands CG, it was kind of magical. And I started to realize like, you know, when if a really good operator behind a flame can really just make things happen out of nothing, it's just stupendous. It was just incredible. It was when I started to realize like what, you know, the, the, the vision of a flame artist and how they can sort of be this army of one in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that sort of goes back to mindset and, and using tools, right? Like I, I, I never, like I, yes, at a certain point in my career, I identified with being a flame artist, right? But For sure. But I, but I also like, I love CG and I loved compositing. Sure. I loved Photoshop retouching and it was just sort of like for me I was always looking at okay what's the tool to get to there so I can do that and so I, that's why my career has kind of been doing all these different things whether it's CG or compositing or flame or even like recently I've been doing resolve color work um, mm -hmm. and then getting into unreal and whatever it is I just sort of like um, I wanted to get to a certain visual and so if, it, if, it, if a tool wouldn't do it, I would just find the tool that would do it and I would learn it. And that was sort mm. of the best thing is just having that, like one of the things we, I think you probably have it as well, is like because of the way that the tools were back then, we just learned it. We just figured it out and we knew that the button was in there somewhere and we would find it and, and push that button. And then if that didn't work, we'd find another button <laughs> or write right. a piece of code or, or, get, or, or ask somebody that was, like on that, that one, um, yeah, I did all that stuff with with like the the slow motion or um, elements that were shot by the director was Andrew Douglas. But then one of our friends was like, "Hey, man, can you export all that water footage? Because I'm doing this water like simulation work high in the Goyen." Um, mm -hmm. And we all know High and loved him for his sort of ability to code things. And, and yeah, um, so I think that was culturally what was great about some of the times that we grew up in was that everybody just wanted to learn and innovate and yeah we work with each other quite a bit it was kind of yeah. fun uh, you know and it was kind of nice also like i wasn't involved in that i had nothing to do with that commercial but i just remembered i had the ability to sort of walk around you know while i was doing stuff and i just stopped by your bay and i was like the hell is Rob doing? <laughs> it's like, oh my God. You know? And it was just kind of this awesome sort of feeling of seeing that and then understanding and it was that perspective. And then, then at the same time, you and I can sit there and chat about the, the, where the industry is going and from our different perspectives, you know, uh, who's going, what commercials are being done, what's happening at this studio. And sort of, it was kind of, it was, it was still, I mean, I think it is still a fairly small industry, but it's not, it wasn't as it's a little. It was a little tighter back then too. So we yeah. kind of had a pulse on everything. Uh, okay. So so when you you were at Methin and you were doing that, but you were going around. You went back to Asylum. So so where where did all of this sort of land for you in your career? Where did all of this land for me in my career? <laughs> <laughs> 
So then, you were so kind of methods. Yeah, you know what? Like, whatever for whatever personal reason, we have our own life challenges, right? And and sort sure. of, I think a lot of people in visual effects have deal with the fact that we end up working very very long hours, and it's not necessarily positive for our personal lives, but. For whatever reason, I ended up back at Asylum. I think there was, at that time, Method was turning into a much bigger company. And mm-hmm. uh, people were asked to make decisions. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just go back to Asylum. Um, right. Ended up at Asylum. I kind of did the same. I went back to DD. <laughs> yeah, and whatever. Like, we, 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 we work for big companies. So right. it's, it just it happens the way it happens. Um, yep. and, and Nathan, um, with Asylum, always had a mindset of that was... There was certainly some chaos with that place, but it was always about artists first and like how do we have great collaborations and create great work. And it was there was a few studios back then. Like, uh, what's the studio that worked on the Matrix that I always forget? Innovated on uh, uh, Manix. Manix, like like just sort of some of the cultures and, and of these places that would I think escape, that, escape is what escape. Escape. you're yeah. thinking. Yeah. So these yeah. places that had these incredible cultures of artists led. Um, studios and mm-hmm. rhythm and use, obviously. I mean, there's so many that were sort mm-hmm. of fell apart because of the nature of our business. I think DD right. has gone through its iterations and is back there again, from what I've heard. It's in a great place. Yep. Um, and some of the, the, the original people are still there, which is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I ended up back at Asylum. And then, uh, again, back to personal stuff, like I, I had family in Canada and, and wanted to, and I had a young family that was, uh, um, we were like, let's, let's get them to their family. So we moved back to Canada. I started my business dashing. Um, and this is back 2010, um, and built a tiny little studio that was doing, like we did a, we did some big work, um, did a, a, a 4k stereoscopic, uh, full CG, project for Cineplex that was fun back then, which was a big deal, learning stereo and, and building full CG environments with Scott Metzger, Stu Burris, um, Fabio Zapata was there for us. Uh, there was a bunch of people that, like names that you probably recognize that worked on that project. Sure. And it was sort of like a great memory because I was able to bring a lot of people that I had great experiences with into a small studio and work as like a team of eight to ten on a project we all loved. So it was... Yeah, we worked some late nights, but we also listened to some great music and just really bonded with friends. And yeah, good memories. And giant data loss, big insurance claim, ended up back in LA. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's, it's wow. Funny. Like, like uh, there's actually a great, I don't know if it's still online, but there's a YouTube video about um, Toy Story 2. And, and okay. on Toy Story 2, Pixar lost the entire film um i think it was toy story 2 okay. and and, it, and they they talk about the data loss and it, and it ended up that the the animator i think the lead animator uh, was a woman who was at home on maternity leave and she happened to have mm-hmm. all the animation on her computer at home <laughs> so they were able to restore the, the whole movie and get it delivered on time so but this is the stuff that happens i wow. had some experience as a very small company where, yeah, like I had a couple servers that had a firmware bug and, and we came in the morning after working till 3 a.m. and watched all our files disappear over the, the course of the next couple hours. And oh. 
And it turned out that it wasn't our fault. It, it, these, these business things, they take years to resolve. And so I went back to right. LA to pay for lawyers and whatever. Eventually, it all got taken care of and I ended up moving on to the next thing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I've heard of crazies. Uh, but there was a story, might have been a rumor, I don't know, but I remember someone talking about how during Lord of the Rings, someone was bringing in all the footage to Lord of the Rings for color on their iPod or something like that. <laughs> so very strange kind of smuggling in this. Like, not people wouldn't do that today. Like, thank God we have backups. <laughs> a little faster, yeah. Right? Well, I mean, it's changed. Like, I've, I've now run so many products. I ran a, a film last year almost entirely on Dropbox, which was... Oh, interesting. Incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had... And I had like a, a local mirror, two local mirrors, but then most of it was just happening. It's what you can do with gigabit up and down, two gigabit up and down internet and uh, fast storage. Suddenly you can. Yeah. I mean, what is, what is that? Like, how have you thought about cloud and, and infrastructure, like in terms of your mobility and your way to do it? Like, is it working out? Has it gotten better? What about the cost? Like, how does it, how's the cost changed over time? Uh, I like I it's sort of like I, I am able to do things with crews around the world and I haven't really had to like I've worked at, at studios as a freelancer when I'm not running my own business like worked at Parliament and saw their incredible pipeline which is all mm-hmm. I think it's all Google based and it's like 20 plus flames and um, big data and it's great and I've worked and I've also worked in this way where I have like five to 10 artists working in different places in South Africa and Colombia and in London, in, in Toronto, in Montreal, and just collaborating on a Dropbox pipeline. Right. Um, and I think it sort of depending on, it depends on the scale of the project and the level of the artist. So senior artists generally can just jump in and get it done. Right. Like we're sort of used to like slash job. Um, right. Whatever the whatever, the, just show me where the where the, the project is, and I'll save things in a way that makes sense, so that I'm being responsible and making sure that. Yeah, I haven't really. And in terms of cost, um, I keep meaning to build my my online pipeline, and I and I have like the 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 Terraform scripts, and I've I've started to build my own little like Python base deployment engine but i always end up when when the project comes i've got like flame and resolve on a mac studio which is amazing i've got a little storage Mm -hmm. blade storage which is like faster than any sort of rack mounted storage i had on on linux flames and then i've got a Mm -hmm. a great cg workstation with my like rtx 4090 for houdini and redshift and oh and Mm -hmm. uh, nv ray still i actually do still i'm not gonna (laughs) show any bias um, and, and Maya and, and, and yeah, I just sort of get the tools that make sense right now. So I haven't really, right. I, it depends, I guess, on the studio and, and what, what the scale of the deployment is. Like I was, I, I did some work at nice shoes a little bit before the pandemic and we were running V-Ray to do, and it was all cloud-based and the, mm. The CTO at the time was a guy named Robert Kesky, and he ended up at uh, Method as the CTO. And he had implemented mm-hmm. incredible cloud infrastructure with a few of his engineers, 
so that would yeah we you can do that auto auto deployment of render nodes and so it's it, it just i guess it just depends on the project if you have right. the time and you, you you scale up and you build it but for me i haven't gone the road of building everything myself yet I mean, you mentioned the pandemic. Do you think the pandemic really sort of accelerated that process where it was like, you know, find ways to make it work in some ways? It definitely did. Um, I mean, I, I, I was able to supervise three movies at a time at, at so working for right. Relax Method Toronto just by like having good internet and, and Zoom. And then right. what else did I do during the pandemic? I did a a CES presentation for Harman that was all on Real Engine, and that was like Houdini for particle simulations, piping into Unreal for um, real time, and then for and then I can't remember what the real time system we used for the live presentation that was happening for CES, but uh, that was there was a big cloud component to that. Um, but I think I ended up. At the time, I, I had just gotten an RTX 3090, so I ended up doing all the sort of static renders locally because I had fast storage. Right. And... Yeah. Yeah, so you just, just sort of made, you've always adapted in a lot of ways to whatever the situation is, right? That's kind of the way I do it. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Yeah. It's, just, it's whatever, like, give me a problem, I'll figure it out. What have you noticed? I mean, obviously, we mentioned the pandemic sort of changed some of the mentality. What are the other things that you've noticed, obviously, in the last you know, like five years or so that things have sort of changed or made things easier or just sort of had a different philosophy of thing of, of how you work? Um, so I think at the beginning of the pandemic, I started to look like just before the pandemic, we were starting to look at the power of cloud-based GPU and storage and, and the cost savings. And then recently I found that there's this sort of, the, the, what I have locally for GPU and storage is super fast and giant. And I don't need the cloud, but it's nice to have this sort of hybrid environment where everything's stored in the cloud so I can easily get it to people, but then I still work locally. So I think mm -hmm. that, that, that... It's like having a mirror of your own computer on the cloud so you can just get that mirror and then just... Yeah, keep it and like, like, right? like, I've definitely become less responsible with my storage management. <laughs> it's yes, like, which is the problem when you work locally. <laughs> yeah, but it, well, and also when you start to want to do backups and things it's like okay well i'll just go buy a handful of like four terabyte drives and um right you <laughs> just end up like storing like these like so many of these things which are just <laughs> drive backups yeah um yeah i guess it's less of the restraints though like I, I don't feel the restraints that we used to um like i know if i want to render faster i can get a faster gpu but this one's pretty great I'm, I'm getting things out fast enough and right um the worry of like 8k or 4k or it doesn't like I, i'm just working on source resolution right now for the most mm -hmm. part which is 5k 6k not thinking about it mm -hmm. um so I think there's, there's, there's a, it's a, maybe it's gone to a bit more of a creative place, but then the deadlines of 
all shrunk so that it's less creative. It's just about how do we get it done? Um, yeah. And so, what is that? I mean, what, what about that part of it? Like, what about in terms of the actual work? I mean, do, you know, we, when I was at, at method, you know, we're thinking back to 2008 or so, I mean, people were still making million plus dollar car commercials, right? And they were expensive and Super Bowl stuff was huge. And, you know, that's, that's was the bread and butter of a, of a place like, like method at the time. And, uh, commercial, the concept of what a commercial has, has changed, right? Like people are now making Instagrams more than they're making TV commercials. Yeah. And I, and I'm probably not the person to ask because I've sort of, I've right. left that sort of that world that we were in that I was in for many years. Yeah. I sort of just have found this place where, um, I get asked to do creative work on a smaller scale and it's really enjoyable, whether it's, and sometimes it's like, can you do a brand exploration for us and just figure out what, what, what our brand is from, from the perspective of our personality and our heart. Right. And so I'll do just mm -hmm. creative explorations that are just Pinterest with people. And then, and then that might turn into something where, okay, well we need a, a full CG um, reveal of our brand through this sort of subject that I'll come up with. And, so like in terms of like the, the large scale commercials, um, I haven't worked on a, on a, a, one of those large scale commercials where I'm working in a supervisor capacity in a while, because I've, I've sort of been given these different projects. So whether it's a, a, a brand project or last year, I, I got asked to, to work on an indie film, which had a, a big visual effects budget and, and, but not actually do the work just to work as a supervisor and manage like three or four vendors. Um, that we're doing different work. Okay. What was the project? Uh, that was called Go for Grandma, and it was uh, uh, a, a recent AFI grad who uh, was working with a producer who, uh, named Scott Patterson, who owned a gaming company that uh, did all the back end for all the EA sports titles. So he mm -hmm. it was a it was a personal story about his his that his son wrote. So it was a bit of a passion project and his son had had a, an unfortunate experience in his parents' divorce was, was with his uh, mother in, uh, on the East coast and wanted to be with his father on the West coast, which kind of resonated with me personally, um, for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And this kid's imagination involved dragons and like oceans and storms and all kinds of, visual effects. So, um, this producer reached out to me and said, are you, we don't have a great budget, but can you help us with this? And it was, it was actually a, not a bad budget. It was a, it probably should have been two or three times what it was, but we were able to get, um, the film done and do some big water simulations and, um, CG birds and, uh, CG dragon kinds of things. And that ended up okay. talking about like collaborating with different, studios um axis from uh northern uk worked on it base in china worked on it uh a good friend of mine Ahmed shahata who wrote the pipeline for all of our friends at apple his studio in egypt worked on it um trend vfx and then studio in 
LA worked on it and then I worked on a few shots and just supervised the whole thing. So it was, this is one of those things where, and everything sort of came to, it was Crater uh, in Eastern Europe worked on it as well. They did some great um, water sim work and it all came together on Dropbox uh, before it got delivered to Lightiron for the final online. So um, it can work. It's kind of crazy to think about the fact that you can do an entire feature film on Dropbox. Right? Yeah, there was like 400 shots and... Um, I mean, it could have been done a lot better. There was a, okay. there was a lot of efficiencies that, that um, as, as the project grew and as like some studios weren't necessarily able to deliver on everything, we grew to five vendors and, and then there was deadlines and also just a, 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 an education element to it of, of just knowing what is possible um, for a project that involved big, big water sims and, and the time that's required for that. So, but it couldn't have been done five years earlier. I think the, no. the tools in Houdini these days, and actually the artist that was involved in a lot of the water tools is a guy named Alejandro Acaveri, who um, he did all the, the water and blood on Jabaro, that, that amazing uh, Love, Death, and Robots film. Right. Um, and uh, so he built water tools. Even, even though Houdini just came out with their new water system, um, he had been developing water tools that were really performant um, that we couldn't right. have done the project without. Yeah. What about all that work that's out there? Like this interesting concepts of what is, is out there. The, the, it's, it's so much more diverse in terms of what is possible. You mentioned Love, Death, and Robots, right? Like things like that happening all over the place where you're getting involved in projects that were not necessarily thought, you know, you didn't think about those years ago it was pretty much commercials or tv or feature films and that was kind of it <laughs> right? yeah and now there's direct to client and there's, and there's short films and there's like all this stuff that's sort of i don't know I don't, I don't really have an opinion i sort of um i i just go by the evidence for me like so sure. like, like i have we obviously there's there's people that are i have friends that have had to go to india or, or china or vancouver or montreal these places and I myself, I guess I've gone to Toronto and L.A. sort of for the last 10, 15 years. Um, but the work for me, I've been very fortunate to always have creative work. Mm. And, I, and I guess some of that is like mindset stuff, just not not operating from a from a, a fear place where I need to panic and find a job. It's more just like, OK, as long as I keep my reel up to date and I reach out to the people that know me and trust me and know that I can deliver creatively, something's going to come up and it's always been the evidence that I have is that like, um, great work. If you, your patient will come to you. So you mentioned the geography thing, like, right. So, so geography was used to be a problem. Like if you, Oh, you're based in LA, you're based here. You're based. Now that, you know, you mentioned everywhere around the world that you hired all these people to work on this thing like that's obviously changed with the pandemic too you didn't have to be in an actual location or you you know so ha have that sort of changed your perspective on yourself and the talent that you work with as well uh yeah i know i think like i think a, a, two years ago i was much more optimistic about it and i think that i was like yeah we can do anything anywhere and it doesn't matter where, where but then when you when you work on a project long enough like that it becomes pretty clear that like the the pain point of time zones is, is yes. really hard to get around. It just, you just have to, it's the communication. I ended up like traveling um, 
on that project because I had to just to, to sort of like do a little bit of like whatever supervisor triage and just make sure that things were on track and um, because you just the face-to-face interaction or just even having the same time zone interaction um, mm-hmm. sometimes you just can't get it over zoom no matter how, how many screen captures you do so. yeah I think it's very interesting I mean I have obviously a I don't do supervision in the same way, but I have a 10 hour difference between me and Bulgaria, right? Which is where yeah. a lot of the people I work with. And that's just very challenging. <laughs> you know, I only have a couple of hours a day that I can just pass information along and then I have to wait another 24 hours for that to happen again. So it's very hard um, to think about that. But also I remember when I was at Method and I was working on a title sequence. Why what was that? Is that why you go fishing? Uh, no, <laughs> I go fishing. I go fishing for all kinds of reasons. But uh, uh, but uh, there was also I was working on that method. I was working on something, and there was a the studio was in Paris, and I realized I gave my notes, and then I basically had to wait the next day. I was yeah. used to being able to have two or three reviews a day, and I only had just one. And it's like I better get my notes in right because it's going to be a full twenty four hours before I get to say it again. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, one thing I found is that some of these studios have, and it's not a healthy thing, but they, just by the nature of where they are, whatever it is, they have the same fire in the belly that we had, and I find right. that 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 is some of the, the the challenge with us as an industry is that um, we 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 created an unhealthy work ethic in our side of the the pond and. But and some of these studios that want the work are willing to do the work at any time of the day just to do it. So right. that's what we're competing against a little bit with globalization, which right. I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing. I mean, obviously it hurts a lot of our our peers and um, <laughs> our sort of sure. balance. But it is what it is. Are you? Would the is there a upside in terms of the amount of work are you seeing more work <clears throat> from other places that you wouldn't normally see work from or is from other countries and other areas that are much more available to you or i haven't personally no okay yeah no. i just sort of i go job to job and and give myself uh i i bill at a rate that allows me to have buffer to find the next thing that is creatively going to be worth working on right Okay. That how long did it take you to figure out what that was? <laughs> like how to make that I haven't balance? Out. <laughs> you haven't figured it out, right? <laughs> but yeah. things seem to be working. It, it seems to be working. I'm able to sort of maintain a reasonable lifestyle and like enjoy yeah. the work I do. I yeah. think I definitely um, stopped searching for big paychecks and started focusing more on just what is good work. Right. Um, how do I how do I find that balance in the middle? And how do you think that, you know, obviously something that we, we, we were talking about, you know, we all just figure out, figure things out, work on things like, oh, this is interesting. We'll do it this way. We'll do it that way. You mentioned several things that you obviously adapted since you began, like even like GPU rendering, cloud concepts, et cetera. What about now? Like, you know, obviously real time has been a part of it. You've, you've been a part of the real time world. Um, and, you know, just quote unquote, figuring it out. Like obviously AI tools have come along a long, a long ways now too, as well. Have you sort of explored that area? What are your thoughts on that and how it, you know, what's the effect it's going to have on the industry or people like, like ourselves? Um, it's such a 
a, a heavy question because there's so many strong feelings about it. The way I look at it um, is I was, when I first left high school and was in first year university, I was not in film school. I was in a graphic communications management program, which was business for the printing industry. I very quickly, after some psychedelic experiences, realized that I needed to not be a business guy. Um, <laughs> But what it, what it exposed me to is it exposed me to pre-press and desktop publishing and what it was to have a, like a, a typesetting computer machine, which was PageMaker at the time. And it mm -hmm. also it gave me the, the, the exposure to what the transition was from typesetting to desktop publishing to PageMaker, right? And it was similar to the Industrial Revolution. It... it created a lot of disruption very quickly and it I think it happens in sort of uh, these just 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 long enough ago that we forget about it and we and we were in this constant cycle of innovation that we forget about the, the trauma and the disruption that happens in these cycles and right now it's it's happening again with AI and we're not remembering what happened just 20 years ago, 30 years ago with pre-press and, and how it revolutionized design, even like graphic design and designers having to do things with by right. hand. Um, so it's a lot of people are going to lose their jobs and a lot of people are going to, it's going to create new jobs. And I think the only thing, like I say all this, and I, I make these parallels, but then it doesn't address the, the sort of bigger thing, which is, it's happening so quickly. Like the innovations that happened in the last four weeks as opposed to the last four years, right? Like it, it just happens that much faster that how does this, how do we societally keep up with that? I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, what, how's it going to affect? Like, I mean, it's gotta be something that, you know, just the, the you know, just think about this, right? Like if someone had come to me, and said, uh, you know, back in the day when you were creating that bird for the 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 the, the, the commercial the, out of yeah. water, I would have said, okay, in order to bid this, we're going to have to create a CG bird. We're going to have to have fluid sims. We're going to have to create skeleton. You know, it's going to be expensive. And then you're like, no, nah, I'm just going to figure it out on flame, and it's going to take a bunch of water elements in slow motion and sort of, you know, collage them together into this bird, and it looked way more convincing than I, than I could have done back then, right? Even so. And nowadays I would say, well, just type in water bird. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll just use some other tools, just like make it move. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And would have been done. <laughs> I think you're right. And I think there's also, like, I, I find that, like, the tools are really good, but they're not quite there yet. But then I also see stuff like, what Chris Smallfield is doing. Yeah. Like, and it's like, okay, well he's obviously putting the time in to get those results because it's, 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 it's great. But I don't like, I get good results as well. And I've, and I, and it's sort of hit or miss sometimes. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens when we see the next generation. If we get there, the next generation of, of LLMs and, and image models and sure. Um, like I know, I remember there was a great interview with uh, 
the founder of Midjourney um, shortly after they had launched, and he was talking about what's next, and he was like, "Well, in three or four years, I'm, I'm guessing we'll we'll be able to have like real time video generation based on a user's um, a user's data, so we can have like sure. personally curated videos that sort of give us what we need to get the fix that we need." Um, on a short short scale, maybe like a three or four minute video that is exactly what I need to hit my uh, serotonin dopamine. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Like where's where it's going? Like where I think we're all sort of wondering, and I, I don't have the answers. That's for sure. I think it's interesting. You mentioned Chris Smallfield, and there are several other examples like that. Chris, and obviously you all you know you and I knew Chris from 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 Method back in the day. But yep. he, you're like you're right. He is taking the time to sort of understand and foster and, and nurture that learning curve that is involved. And there is a misconception that there is no learning curve. You just type in whatever the hell you want, right? Mm -hmm. But you're obviously seeing much more interesting results from people that do take more time to do this thing, right? Like I've seen it with my friend Eric Sheely, uh, mm -hmm. and I've seen it with other people like that that are like, that's a style that is clearly, I, I know it technically comes from whatever, uh, system they're using either Midjourney or, or, or Stable Diffusion or Dolly's whatever, but it Dolly. But it's like it's clearly of something that is a style that they have that's being put on that that's not necessarily the same thing that you see everywhere else. And so I'm just curious, of like how that's going to, you know, like who are those going to become the you know the the next Houdini artists or the next Flame guy that's you know. Uh, shipped on <laughs> on Virgin Atlantic with all the neon lights inside in first class and getting champagne. You know what I mean? Like, is that going to be that person, uh, the next one of those people right now? Uh, I don't have the answer to that. I think yeah. you probably want to talk to the founder of, of OpenAI and see what, what they're hiring. I've been trying, by the way. I have. If you happen to anyone knows the <laughs> contact information, I did I did send them out some invitations on LinkedIn and stuff, but right. I didn't think they responded to me. But uh, but yeah, I'm curious about about those things. Uh, I'm also, you know, honestly, I'm also very curious about, uh, you know, to talk to people like Carlo Ortiz, uh, who's dealing with a lot of the, the, the specific copyright lawsuits that are going on right now and sort of understanding how that's going to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I am strongly believed that these things need to be explored, but I strongly also believe that they need to be explored in a court system, which is what Carla is doing <laughs> as opposed to court of public opinion, which I think we deal with way too much. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm very excited about, about those, that journey that people are going through. I don't know where, where, what's this going to do for us or how this is going to affect our, our livelihood. But, uh, I know that the interest in CG has gone way up <laughs> because of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, like it's, it is it 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 gives you the amalgamation of all the the images that are out there. It doesn't right. give you the images that aren't out there, right? I think there's still well by definition, it's only going to give you results that it's the most predictable result. <laughs> yeah, right? and and based on everything that you could possibly give it which is a huge right. data that we can we can't comprehend um sure in our brains um but i don't think it it doesn't give us uh real true original work yet 
it's 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 cool and it's very original. It looks very original, but I don't think sure. it's going to give you like completely original concept yet. I think maybe the next LLM may get there. Like what? Like what? I think what what are, what are they saying? It's like we're on four right now, but like version six is where it'll have the same number of neural pathways as the human brain, and then we can start to. Yeah, but that's a bullshit term because yeah. who knows about that's not this a neural pathway on our it's brain a, is not the same as the, this yeah as i mean and then you get into sort of quantum physics and there's a there's a great writer um named sean webb um you should look him up and he he was he started his career as a hardware provider or hardware engineer working for silicon graphics providing um onyxes to area 51 and he, right. he developed his own sort of uh algorithmic understanding of human emotion and he's he's convinced that if that was implemented into chat gpt that we would have a much more powerful um system for handling what we're going to go into over the next 10 years um, mm-hmm. i mean that just scratches the surface of what he does but it's it is uh, i don't know we're observing <laughs> we're observing absolutely absolutely i think it's a, you know you mentioned it's like you know it's not necessarily a very original thought but honestly speaking i even before any of this stuff, I haven't seen really good original thought from from 2000 to 2000 and you know 19. There wasn't much originality <laughs> going on in the world. Yeah. Uh, we were very stuck in a specific way of looking at the world that we kept repeating over and over and over again that made us feel safe and secure. Uh, and I think that that what's I've seen, even though. It's all based on other things. Like it turns out, when random people use these tools and make things, they have very strange things in their head that they're able to finally express <laughs> visually. I definitely got some some good some interesting results out of combining things I would never thought of combining. Like I do right. love the idea, but it is all derivative of something else. It is. Well, isn't that? I mean, yes. I mean, you can always go through the argument. Everything is kind of derivative. So you said two thousand. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna just throw I'm gonna say no because okay. I, I I just looked up when was, when did Inception come out and that was a movie that I, I loved to watch and that was two okay so that's two thousand five ten two thousand ten okay sure but I agree like even if we look at music right like <laughs> where yeah. was music in the seventies and eighties versus where we are now yeah was, I was mostly going about. Well, in the movie sense of things, I think Inception was an interesting one. There, yes, there are definitely exceptions, but for the most part, after nine eleven, I think that everyone got scared and sort of brought like we're just going to do superhero films, <laughs> right? Yeah. Everyone is a hero. We just need heroes at this point, and everyone sort of didn't go beyond that. And in fact, if you look at and then I was always sort of joking about it with with people when you look at mid, uh, at Art Station before the AI boom. If you looked at art station, it was mostly just Iron Man suits and girls in with giant swords. <laughs> you know, that was it. That was most of what people were creating on art station. Uh, and it, you know, there was a few other things, obviously there's always going to be a few other things, but you didn't see this plethora of, of, of just like crazy things out there that people wanted to express visually. That was different, you know? Yeah, and even like just looking at my own like reference library and thinking about that, like I, I used to maintain a really big reference library of stills of, that I just like I loved and I curated it and, and like it was like a photographer from here or an illustrator sure. here or like this painter and 
and and and that sort of it all just there was definitely a homogenization of our entire sort of visual input <laughs> over the right. last 20 years that just is not very inspiring it's hard to it's hard to get to that inspiration for sure it the, i think the, my main issue is that it's it's hard to to curate things a little bit right because like i work with eric Chile a lot and we're we do we're doing some creative projects together which is great and we were talking about creatively speaking like how do we want to get something to look and just sort of get some concepts out for something and in the course of a one hour while we were talking he generated 500 images yeah. of different reference all of them were very like pretty close to what we wanted and it was yeah. like <laughs> We didn't even get out of the meeting. The point of the meeting was to, to like have a meeting to talk about what you want and then generate it. We were still in the meeting and there were already 500 images that were yeah. generated. Yeah, I've had, that, <laughs> I've had that same experience. Like, right. And, I, and, and just with a little bit of Photoshop, you're like, okay, that's it. There it is. That's it, right? There's the poster. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting to, to sort of think about that. And even if it's not the poster, even if it's not the original art that you created, even if it's just a stepping off point that you want, which honestly, a lot of times we do, right? A lot of times when you look, when you look at feature films and how they're created uh, in terms of quote unquote inspiration, they often take stills from other movies to use as inspiration for what they're trying to do, right? So Yeah, yeah. so who, who was it that said there is no original art? I don't remember. Was it probably remember, uh, Andy Warhol or <laughs> like Warhol or Dolly or someone like that? Which, by the way, Warhol is being sued. <laughs> the Warhol Foundation is being sued really? for copyright, which could have an effect on uh, AI art. Right? Wow. I was going to bring up Warhol because that's such a great. He, he was making that statement. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can even look at Duchamp for God's sakes with the fountain, yeah. right? <laughs> He was making that statement. That was in the 20s or 30s, right? So, yeah. Interesting. Well, listen, uh, it's really cool to, to, to catch up with you and see you again, man. I mean, hopefully, you know, you said you come to L.A. often. So next time you come, let me know. And we'd love to, to hang yeah. out with you and, and, and see, see how he's doing. How's, I mean, I remember your son and my daughter were almost the same age. So my, yeah, thinking my about, 14, you know. My yeah. daughter, 14. 17. She's 17 as well. Yeah. And so, like, you know, she's graduating high school, and I'm thinking, it's like, wow, your kid's probably graduating high school, too. <laughs> Getting along the same line. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to see that. Well, listen, man, it's great talking to you. I appreciate you, you being on, and, uh, yeah, keep up the uh, amazing stuff that you're doing. Thanks, Chris.